Good morning. Well, one or two people are awake. Good morning. <laughs> it's good to see you all. So, today brings us to the last one in our series on how to pray. Um, I was privileged to kick off the series eight weeks ago and uh, to finish it off. I don't know whether it's because I'm finishing it off or whether it's because I'm drawing it to a close. Let's hope it's the latter. Um, but um, So today we are going to be talking about spiritual warfare. So in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Spiritual warfare. Mm. Now, I think a lot of us, when we hear that term, we think spiritual warfare is something that super Christians do, that, that kind of the slightly weird and fanatical ones do. And it's not really something for us regular, normal people. Anybody ever thought that? But Pete Gregg says, if we don't understand spiritual warfare, then we don't understand prayer. The Bible is absolutely clear. We are in a battle we need to understand the reality of the war. Because if we don't understand that, we won't take seriously our need to fight. Now, you and I will know it's obvious that there is evil in the world. We only have to look around us. And if we're honest, we only have to look inside to know that actually we're all capable of messing up. And that is why we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You see, the fact is, we have a very real enemy. And that enemy is out to destroy us and our relationship with God. But we have weapons at our disposal which can destroy the works of the enemy. So what is spiritual warfare? Well, in its broadest sense, spiritual warfare is everything that we do to stand against the work of the enemy. So everything we do that when we resist the enemy, so every time we resist temptation, we are engaging in spiritual warfare. So every time we choose to forgive rather than hold a grudge, every time we choose to be kind to someone who's been unkind to us, every time we choose to walk away from that gossipy conversation or turn off that TV program or website that we know isn't good for us, every time we resist that temptation, we are winning a battle, that we are engaging in spiritual warfare. But today we're focusing, obviously, on spiritual warfare in the context of prayer. And we've already talked about various aspects of spiritual warfare already in this series. Um, you may not have been aware of that, but, for example, Georgie talked about declaration in the face of disappointment. Daryl spoke about worship and adoration, even when we don't feel like it. Rachel spoke about declaring scripture and standing in the gap for people. This is all standing against the work of the enemy and is therefore all part of spiritual warfare. But there's a particular type of prayer that we tend to associate with spiritual warfare that I want to talk about today. And I want to talk about how we can play our part in seeing the enemy defeated. So there's three things we need to know about spiritual warfare. We need to know our enemy. We need to know our authority, and we need to know how to fight. So first of all, we need to know our enemy. So 
When we talk about Satan, demons, fallen angels, battles between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, you could be forgiven for thinking that perhaps we're in the middle of some kind of Marvel movie and uh, it's all a bit fantastical. Or maybe when we think about Satan, we think about a cartoon character in red with horns and a tail and we kind of think, oh, it's all a bit of nonsense, isn't it, really? But the Bible is really clear. We have a very real enemy And it's a very real battle that we're in. Jesus was clear. He talked about Satan. He talked about evil. He began his ministry with 40 days of spiritual warfare in the wilderness. Jesus set people free from demonic forces. He taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the Bible describes Satan in a number of ways, including as a liar, a thief, and a murderer. And Jesus said in John 10.10, the thief, that is Satan, comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So where did this enemy come from? And where, what kind of power does he have, really? Well, the Bible isn't, doesn't give us a detailed account of the origins of Satan, but we know that he is a created being. So he was an angel created by God, as all the other angels, to do God's work. But he rebelled against God, and because of that, he was thrown out of heaven along with the other angels that were following him. And Satan's Uh, purpose now, his intention now is to destroy God and to destroy his work. And so he's, he's basically leading a rebellion, if you like, against God. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It's a spiritual battle against spiritual forces. And so we have to fight in the spiritual realm through prayer. You see, Satan's kingdom is a kingdom of darkness. And that kingdom is directly opposed to God's kingdom, which is the kingdom of light. And Satan is trying to, as I said, destroy God's work, block God's work, including his plan for our lives. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan is vile. He doesn't play fair. He won't hesitate to kick us when we're down. You know, and sometimes we can be really conscious of the battle. I'm sure there are people here, and there have been times when you've really felt under attack. You've really felt you're in the middle of that battle. There's definitely somebody against you. But other times it's not so obvious because the tactics of the enemy are devious. He's called a deceiver. He'll even twist God's word because he wants us to turn away from God. He wants to mislead us. And so he tempts us with things that perhaps are less obviously wrong, perhaps. But I've got something really important that we need to remember today, is that Satan and God are not equal. They are not equal and opposite forces. Satan is a created being. He is not all-powerful. 
He is not all-knowing. He is not sovereign. He is not in control. God is. Only God. God is the sovereign God, the almighty God, the one who holds everything together. And most important of all, Satan is defeated. Colossians 2 verse 15 says, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Hebrews 2, verse 14 to 15 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. And 1 John 3, verse 8 says, The one who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Jesus has won the victory. He came to destroy the devil's work. He came to set us free. You see, at the moment, we're living in, the, in middle times, if you like. We're living between the time when Jesus came and died and rose again and defeated the power of Satan and the time when Jesus returns and Satan will ultimately be destroyed and uh, Jesus' victory will be complete. And in that middle time, we bring the victory of God, the kingdom of God, to the earth through prayer. That is why prayer is so important. Now, it is hard for us to understand why God would allow Satan to continue to exist, but the truth is his time is limited and his power is limited. Remember, we've read the last page of the story. We know what happens in the end. In the meantime, we have the authority and the weaponry to defeat him. And that brings me to my second point. We need to know our authority. Now, I think you and I understand the concept of authority, don't we? We understand when we have been given the authority to do something. The dictionary definition says it's the power or right to give orders, make decisions, and enforce obedience. I like to think as a parent, I have some authority. I'm not sure that that was actually true, but <laughs> I like to think so. If we are going to engage in spiritual warfare, then we need to understand what authority we are operating under. Ephesians 1, verse 18 to 23 says, I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, that's me and you, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Jesus has the ultimate authority. Everything is under his feet. But let's go on to Ephesians 2, verse 4. But because of his great love for us, 
God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. We are seated with Christ. Jesus is seated in the position of victory. He is seated and Satan is under his feet. And we are seated with him. So if I put a chair on the stage and I sat on the stage, the stage is under my feet, yes? If I asked Emily to come and sit with me, she would sit next to me, the stage is under her feet too, yeah? So because Satan is under Jesus' feet and we are sat with Jesus, Satan is under our feet. We have the authority because we are seated with Christ. So when we engage in spiritual warfare, we do so from a position of victory, not from a position of defeat, but a position of victory, the victory that's already been gained. Jesus has delegated his authority to us as his children. As children of the king, he wants us to rule and to reign with him, to exercise the authority he has given us to bring his kingdom to earth. We don't have any authority of our own. We only have the authority that comes from him, given by him to do his will. So when we pray in the name of Jesus, we're praying in his authority. We are praying on the basis of what Jesus has achieved on the cross and the victory that he's already won. Now, I love the story of David and Goliath. And um, I love David's declaration when he comes to face Goliath in 1 Samuel. And David says to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. David didn't, believe, believe, didn't beat Goliath because he was stronger, because he was a better fighter, because he was more intelligent. He defeated Goliath because he came in the name of the Lord Almighty. He came in the authority of God. And we have that same authority. In fact, you could say we have a greater authority because we come in the name of Jesus who's defeated Satan. And remember, we have the Holy Spirit. We have God in us. Victorious Jesus lives in us. Through his spirit. 1 John 4 verse 4 says, You dear children are from, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. We overcome the enemy because we have the overcomer living in us. Isn't that good? <laughs> so we need to know our, our authority and we need to know how to fight. How do we fight? What does spiritual warfare look like? Well, you know what? Prayer itself is an act of war. When we pray, we're coming against the forces of darkness and bringing in the kingdom of light. And you know what? Even choosing to pray itself is an act of spiritual warfare. Does anybody here find it hard to pray? Find it hard not to be distracted, not to fall asleep? Thank you, Helen. I'm with you at the back. <laughs> You know, it's hard. Why is it there's a million and one other things we want to do rather than pray? Why is it that when we start to pray, a million and one other things fill our brains other than what we should be praying for? 
If prayer is so powerful, if prayer is the way that God has intended for us to partner with him in bringing his kingdom to this world and defeat the enemy, do you think Satan's going to sit there and just let us get on with it? Why would he not attempt to disrupt our prayer lives? It's a battle to pray, but every time we pray, we're winning a battle. We are already engaging in warfare. The most famous passage of scripture connected with spiritual warfare is Ephesians 6, and I'm sure most of you are familiar with this. So we're just going to read from verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled round your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. <clears throat> in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. <clears throat> with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Armor is designed to protect against attack. But we have one offensive weapon, the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. This is the weapon that Jesus used in the wilderness when Satan was tempting him. And Hebrews 4 verse 12 tells us that the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. We can do damage in the spiritual realm when we wield the word of God. This is our sword. This has power. And we have the authority to use it. A few weeks ago, we were given the handout, How to Pray the Promises of God. And it, I would encourage you to have another look in that because the principles of using the word of God in that are just the same as for spiritual warfare because it talks about general promises of God that can apply to a variety of situations in our lives. They're timeless truths, but also the way that the Holy Spirit can bring about specific promises to our immediate situation. And the same applies with the Word of God when we're in spiritual warfare. There are some general passages of Scripture uh, general promises of God, things that God has said that we can pray over practically every situation. But then there are specific things that God will bring to our mind through the Holy Spirit to pray specifically into a specific situation. And we need the Holy Spirit to reveal how to use the word. We need those specific targeted weapons we cannot undertake spiritual warfare without the Holy Spirit because it's a spiritual battle. We need the Holy Spirit to guide our praying, empower our praying, and empower us to pray. The Holy Spirit will lead us as we engage in spiritual warfare. He will help us understand, give us revelation about the situations that we're praying to, into. He may even give us something prophetic that we can use um, that, when God speaks into our hearts. 
which will obviously always be backed up with Scripture. And Andy explained this really well last week when talking about how to hear God and the way that God speaks to us, maybe through images, pictures, uh, impressions, words. And God can speak to us in that way, specifically to help us in our praying. Spiritual warfare is important in our own personal lives. You know, we know that personally we need to stand against the work of the enemy. 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3 to 5 says, For for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. I think you and I would probably agree that the greatest battle that we face is usually in our minds. Our personal battles. But we have the weapons. This is what the scripture tells us. We have the weapons to win the battle. And the greatest weapon is the sword of the spirit, the word of God. But... There are also times when God will use us to fight in a a greater battle, if you like, or a wider battle, because we are also called to pray for our communities, for our nation, for other nations. And the incredible thing is that we can pray here in little old King's Lynn, and situations can be transformed across the world. God can use your prayers and my prayers to change situations thousands of miles away. We, when we spend time with God, you know, the Holy Spirit can bring to our mind things that we need to be praying into. It might be a person's name that comes to mind. It might be a particular country. It might be a situation. And the Holy Spirit stirs in us a desire to be praying for that situation. We may not understand everything that's going on. We may not even hear afterwards what happened. But that if God is stirring in us, we need to pray. Because God uses us. Every single one of us can be used in this spiritual warfare to bring his kingdom to this earth. Spiritual warfare is powerful. You know, there are times when, you know, God, I don't know if you've had this experience where you might be praying for something and, and you just feel like something's stirring inside you. It might, it might feel almost like an anger or a frustration, but it's like, oh, I'm not having this anymore. You know, it's like a, something inside of you that, that gets you on the warpath, if you like. And you, your prayers start to change because you are filled with this sense of urgency and desperation and determination that the battle is going to be won. And, you know, I felt just earlier on as we were worshipping, I just felt like God needs to, wants to say to some people this morning, you've got to stop being a doormat. You have authority. Don't let the enemy walk all over you. If there's areas in your life and you just feel like the enemy's winning, that, you know, you're going, maybe you're going around in circles with the same kind of temptation and the same kind of sin. Or maybe it's a family situation. Or maybe it's uh, something else that's really a struggle for you. You know, you have the authority. But you also have an army of people around you. And we are called to fight together. You know, um, in that illustration of the, the Roman soldier that Paul uses when he's talking about the armor... 
Roman soldiers did not fight on their own. They fight, fought as part of a legion, as part, part of a unit. And we are a unit. We are united as an army. That's how we should be fighting. So although we have our own personal battles and some things that we wouldn't share with everybody else, but we also need to stand together in the fight, to watch each other's backs. When one person is struggling, to come alongside and to stand with them and fight with them and for them. As Rachel said, to stand in the gap for someone else. You know, we need to be prepared to be able to take up arms. And that's what spiritual warfare is all about. And that's why meeting together is also important. Praying together, because there is a power in agreement that is greater than when we are praying just on our own. And that is so vital in our battle as a church, as we pray together for stuff, as we pray for breakthrough, as we pray for God's promises to us as a church to be fulfilled, as his, for his word to be fulfilled in this place, we need to stand together. And you know, that's why we have prayer meetings. Not because we just feel like it's a good idea, you know, get us all together, but because there's power in it. Because it's what God has ordained for us to meet together to pray. And I know it can feel a bit daunting if it's not something that perhaps you've done much of before. But I really encourage you. You know, we've all, we're all learning. We're all growing. Come along. Be a part of it. Learn from one another. Come and, and make your contribution in the battle because we need everyone. You've got a handout today on fasting. I know Daryl's obviously mentioned fasting already in the context of the fast-forward things that we're doing. I don't know about you, but I, I've never really found fasting very easy. Um, and in fact, a few years ago, I just felt like there was not really a lot of point. I just feel like I couldn't. It just didn't seem to do anything for me. It didn't, I didn't think about God. I thought about food. That's all I could think about. Um, it didn't really help me focus at all. Um, and I had to really pray about that. But, you know, fasting is actually a powerful elements of spiritual warfare. And uh, although we can't necessarily always understand the spiritual significance of depriving of ourselves of something that might feel very natural, you know, I think that a lot of our battles, if you like, are, are, are with the flesh, aren't they? They're with our natural inclinations, our own desires, our own compulsions. And if we, if we deprive ourselves of something of that, whether that's food or whether that's something else that gives us pleasure or satisfaction, then actually what we're doing is we're saying to God, you know what, the flesh is not as important as the spirit, you know, and I want to focus on the spirit and the spiritual battle. So there is power in it. So I encourage you to, to read that. So whatever your experience of prayer today, I want to encourage you that God wants to use you. God needs you to take up arms in spiritual warfare. We are in a battle and we can't escape that fact, but we can choose whether or not we're going to engage. And remember, we're on the winning side. We have a victor. We have the overcomer in us. So when we come to fight, we come with the authority that Jesus has given us. We come knowing that we are seated in heavenly places with Jesus, standing with him, all authority in his name.
I'm just going to pray as I close. Lord, I thank you that you have won the victory. I thank you, Jesus, that you are calling us to something that's incredible. You are calling us to be a part of your victory, of your kingdom coming on this earth. And I thank you, Lord Jesus, that every single one of us has a part to play, that we can all take up arms and fight and bring your kingdom to this world. So we thank you, Lord. And we choose, Lord God, we just say yes to you. We say yes to the battle, Lord. We say, God, we, don't, we don't, can't say that we like it, that we enjoy it at times. But God, we know it's so important because this is the way that victory is won. And we love the victory. So Lord, we pr- I pray. I just pray for anybody here for whom this whole topic is, is just a really difficult one. And they can't really grasp it. I just pray you'd open their eyes to see that it's all just about following you and living in your victory. In Jesus' name.